He's Howard Eibach, a former copywriter and creative director and the author of two books on the creative brief. And he's Henry Gomez, an ad agency strategist with over 26 years of experience. Together, we're the Brief Brothers. We love to talk about creative briefs, briefing, and advertising. We're back for another episode, Henry. Today, we are going to steal from ourselves. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, I don't know what, I don't remember what we were talking about, but the topic of tone of voice came up. And we both sort of had a, a moment where we realized it wasn't something we'd given a great deal of attention to. And yet it's a very important part of the creative I think, brief. I think it was, um, we were reviewing student briefs and we were talking about Zippo. Yeah. And it said the tone for this is the tone of this brief. This brief, right. And, we, and, I, and I said that there was an opportunity to really talk about tone. That yes, was exactly. So that so was what- You jarred my memory. And you rejack mine. So that was what kind of got us started on it. But it is a topic that we haven't really addressed. It's an important part of the brief. I have this thing that I say when I do my creative brief training, which is if there's anything about a creative brief you can cut and paste from something else, which is something I, I really suggest it's never done, but the tone of voice might be something that's a candidate for that. And you brought up a really interesting point, which I'm going to let you expand on, because I'm going to kind of turn this over. You found some really interesting documents from Burger King and some spots that will help us really dive into the whole area of tone of voice. And I know you have a perspective on this, so yeah. take it away, so, Henry. So the first thing I would say is I think that tone is probably the part of the brief that gets the most short shrift. Mm. Um, not a lot of attention is paid to it. As you mentioned, a lot of times it's just copied and pasted without any real meditation on what it means, what these words that I'm copying and pasting from one document to another mean. And as we've, you know, been very fond of talking about, you know, right now, a lot of marketers, uh, advertisers are waking up to the fact that true differentiation among their brands is very difficult to obtain, but distinctiveness is something any brand can have. If you speak differently than other brands, the way you speak can differentiate you in your advertising and, and make it so that people remember your brand. It creates the mental availability. They will never confuse your ad for a competitor's ad, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think tone has become more important. Um, and what I, what, when you said, well, you could probably just copy and paste the tone from the brand guidelines. And there's two problems with that. One is a lot of clients don't have brand guidelines or they have brand guidelines and nobody pays attention to them or they're poorly done. They're not, they're not something that people really see as actionable things that we're handling the brand. We have to know these guidelines inside and out. And that's unfortunate. That's just a lack of discipline on, on, the, fact, on the side of a lot of marketers. But when a tone is well thought out in advance as part of a brand guidelines, as part of style guide, as part of uh, overarching uh, brand planning documents, if it's done really well, then yes, that tone of voice should be consistent across communications. Um, and so we were talking about this and we said, well, we should do an episode on tone. And, and I was going to say basically what I just said. And then I went looking through um, my old, old documents and I found, and I've referred to on the podcast, my time 
couple of years that I worked on Burger King as one of the roster agencies on, on the brand at the time when Crispin Porter and Bogusky was winning a ton of awards and was in, you know, an ad age, you know, a couple times, uh, you know, a month because of what they were doing uh, for Burger King. So, and they were incredibly consistent. And as one of the roster agencies, we had to obviously adopt the tone that had been adopted by the brand. And the way it was communicated to me when I first started working on the brand was it's the cool uncle. Um, and they explained it and, and I vaguely remembered the wording and I think I've said it on the podcast before. It was something like the cool uncle is, the un is your uncle that's closer to your age than your dad's who shows you the ways of the world. And you kind of start identifying with a human being in that way. And you start thinking, well, it's, it's kind of like a mischievous character in your life, um, that cool uncle because he's the one that's like letting you get away with stuff. And he's the one that's telling you the dirty joke and he's the one. And so um, it was always very evocative. They always, so anytime we went to a creative presentation, one of the main things the client would ask us was, does this, or would be reflecting on was, does this reflect the cool uncle filter? So, I found, you know, through my searching, I found a couple of, of documents from Burger King that are like these foundational documents to your point. And, and we also did a, an episode where we dissected a Burger King brief from this yeah. era. And the tone was nowhere on the brief. There was no box for tone. And that's when I brought up this whole idea of the cool uncle filter. Everybody knew what the cool uncle filter was. So they didn't have to put it on the brief. Um, but well, I, I want to interrupt here. I don't want to stop your thought. Hold on to your thought, but because there are two things here. One is that when we see, when we think of, I think when most people think of the tone, it's usually a collection of three to five words or phrases, and right? They're, and they're usually kind of vanilla words and phrases. They're well, not... some are some are better than others. I remember three of them from the brand guidelines when I was the creative director on the British Airways account. And I was responsible for the four loyalty programs for British Airways. And the three that I remember were on your wavelength, assured, and friendly. And there were two more. There were five altogether. Mm -hmm. So the one that really sticks out in my mind is on your wavelength. Now, that's a little bit more descriptive than the typical, you know, sense of humor, friendly, approachable. But mm -hmm. it's still not as definitive or doesn't paint any kind of picture the way cool uncle does so that's a huge difference and that's and that's what i'm advocating for is if you're a brief writer this tool could be one that really makes your campaign stand out if you right. come up with a tone if you have a brand that doesn't really understand its tone or has a tone in its brand guidelines it's just too wide open and vanilla to really nail it down and come to the client and say we want this campaign to be X. If they love it and they adopt it, then that can become the brand's tone. And and you, so um, and so I I'm just gonna say the other thing that I wanted to point out because you mentioned it, like why wasn't that mentioned in the brief that we reviewed? And that also brings up another point. When I show finished creative briefs to, in my training, one of the questions I always ask is, well. There are some things that aren't in this brief that you would expect to find on that brief. What's missing from this brief? And more importantly, why is it not there? 
Now, I haven't, I haven't shown a brief that was missing the tone because they almost always have a tone. But one of the reasons that you pointed out that the, the tone of voice wasn't part of the brief that we reviewed is because it's, it's well known. They already know that. They didn't feel it was necessary to it include was, it on it, that. It was, such a, it was such a cornerstone of the thinking among the approvers of the work Right. That, uh, you know, it, it, the, at some point there had been an indoctrination at yes. Burger King be, before I got there. When Crispin Porter Bogusky first got the account, there must have been an indoctrination where they said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what it's about. This is the cool uncle. This is what we stand for. And that was adopted uh, across the board. And therefore, once that was, debate was settled, it didn't need to be brought up again. Now, right. I was a new strategist at one of the roster agencies, not the lead agency. And so I needed to be indoctrinated when I got there, but I was quickly indoctrinated. You know, like they, they told me, said, oh, you got to be mindful of the cool uncle. And I was like, what's the cool uncle? So I'm going to show, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen, but I found this uh, document. Um, and uh, again, this, these are dated documents. These go back about 15 years. So uh, in some cases, a little more. Um, so hopefully, um, this isn't going to bring any lawyers on us or on me. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm quoting from something called the Superfan Resource Guide. And you'll remember that on that brief that we reviewed for Burger King, you asked, "What is the Superfan?" And I talked right. about, you know, the Superfan was a high volume fast food consumer. It was generally young males, etc. So. There's a few kind of call outs that I want to talk about before we get to the cool uncle filter. But, um, and this is like a nine page document. I'm not going to go through it all. But for example, here they talk about what's the creative approach for Burger King. And it, it says, play with and lead the pop culture we all love to create relevance for BK products. So they're telling you right there we want to lead pop culture. We want to be a part of pop culture. And we want to lead. We want to be the commercial that people are talking about when they're hanging out around the, the water cooler, right? At the office, et cetera. Um, so play with and lead the pop culture. I thought that well, that's incredible. That's really, it's really interesting because one of the things that I sort of objected to when we reviewed that creative brief that Porter, uh, Crispin Porter-Bogusky did for, I forget what the sandwich was. It was a chicken sandwich. Was the the man a manly chicken sandwich? Yeah, it was the uh, the bacon tender barbecue bacon tender. Yeah, and I love the fact that it was twenty words. I mean, it was just an incredibly brief brief. When everybody complains about these twelve page briefs that, that you know materialize in the marketing world, and this was it not only was twenty words, it just fit basically half the page. But one of my objections was, well, I didn't know what the super fan was, and I didn't understand. You know why? Why are we talking about certain things when they're when that? Where, where are these these things on the brief? And you mentioned it just a moment ago that there is a kind of indoctrination, a brand indoctrination, so that the brief doesn't need to be any longer than the twenty words that were uh, demonstrated on that brief, because the whole culture at Crispin Porter on the for the people who worked on that account, they were just inculcated in that and they yeah. lived in that. So it's if you want to produce a brief that's that short this is how you do it yeah and that's an, i think it's an example of you know when you have an a high level agency doing work for a client that's committed 
you get rid of a lot of bullshit like that you don't yeah. you don't necessarily need the problem is that most of us aren't in that perfect situation right we're not right. in that situation where the client has completely bought in um you and i have talked about and i think we're going to do an episode about you know clients using the the advertising process to come up with their strategy so they're, they they don't know what, they don't know <laughs> what 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 they what they want um right. so um, in this case, this is a case of the agency wins the account with a very strong point of view, the client buys it hook, line and sinker, and everybody that's working on the brand, whether it be at the lead agency or at the other roster agencies that work on the brand have to be executing to this standard that has now become the standard of, of, of well, the- this is, this has changed my thinking in this, in a sense that. I, I was a little concerned when we reviewed that brief. It's like, this is such a high level of sophisticated approach to a brief because of what's missing. Mm-hmm. No, that, I, I, that, that I would, I hesitate to use this brief as a teaching tool, but I, I I'm having agree. second, I'm having second thoughts about that now. I, I think it's I, a, it's a I, great, I mean, if you showed the background documents that you provided, because I didn't have these background documents, um, you know, this, this, what is this? cool uncle tone of voice. What are some of these other elements that go in that are not in every brief? But if you have this indoctrination, this education in the background, that makes the brief even more powerful because you know what went into what's behind it. I think we said, I think I said in that episode, this is like one of those that should have a disclaimer that says, do not attempt professional drivers on a close course. Because like I said, this was the ideal. This was a motivated client uh, being led by a very outstanding at the time agency was at the top of its creative game and strategic game. And so um, they, you know, they were, they were doing the highest level work and people were taking note of it. It's it, it the formula doesn't work for everybody. The, just no. like the cool uncle isn't going to work for every brand, right? Like that's not the point here. The point is to come up with your own brand's, tone of voice that's as distinctive and as memorable and as um, um, directive, impactful. impactful to the work as the cool uncle. So, right. and then, you know, you can start asking questions about, well, I'm looking at other brands, like I'm looking at Geico and I'm looking at some of these other insurance companies and whether they're doing this cool uncle approach or not, you can start to assign a f- sort of a personality to that brand, whether they're doing it or not. And and I would and I would agree. So I I would assume that the Martin Agency, which is the agency that handles Geico, um, at some point twenty years ago, whenever it was that they started doing Geico, you know, they sold the client on, and they've been sticking to that formula. And they have yeah. a very now. I would say a lot of the other insurance companies have really tried to copy that tone from Geico, yeah. and I think that it only helps Geico in the end because yeah, you might watch a progressive commercial. Uh, or a Liberty Mutual commercial, and you think, well, that's not as funny as Geico, and because they're trying to, they're trying to be stand-up comedians too, like Geico is, and so um, in here, and and that that's a great uh, segue into this next page that I wanted to show from this document, which says the space, and it says McDonald's childhood, Wendy's is adulthood, Burger King represents everything great about adolescence. <laughs> so we were talking about like how, you know, Geico compared to competitors. Well, Burger King is looking at itself and saying, well, what are our, what are our competitors like? And so 
McDonald's is is childhood. And I think we can all agree with that. You know, the Happy Meal, the mm-hmm. the McNuggets, those the that that it's that innocent happiness that McDonald's tries to project. That's where they their space. Wendy's, it says here, Wendy's is adulthood. Even though the icon for Wendy's is a little girl, it's a big burger. It's very adult. It's very um, so. And and remember, we're going back in time to like 2005. Well, now that also brings up a question, Henry, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'll throw it out there. Where was Burger King in terms of market share back then? Do you, do you recall? They were um, second um, behind uh, McDonald's. And where are they today? Do we know? Um, I believe they're like third or fourth. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't have the... the no. So... The, but the, I think I think you're right. The point the point that I'm making here is that this this example, I mean, if they it, it's gutsy for a brand to say, we're not a child, we're not an adult, we're we're teenagers. That's yeah. a gutsy position, but they owned it and they translated that into communications that built a brand that reached the second largest market share. That's powerful. Just a little bit of background. At that at that time, Burger King was a publicly held corporation. The corporation was bought by uh, a venture capitalist group. Um, they basically came in and they made wholesale changes to the personnel at the brand. The brand mm-hmm. really tanked for several years, and then it started to have a renaissance when Fernando, when the current regime um, and and Fernando Machado was not there anymore, uh, was the CMO. So right. that's right. a little bit, you know, between 2005 and today, there's been a lot of drastic changes on the business front on the competitive front of a global pandemic uh, yeah. a global financial crisis in 2008 so there's been a lot of uh, uh you know change in the world since this time so again we're reminding the audience that we're going back about 17 right. years here um, right but we still want to remember a fundamental which is when you have that kind of unified vision client agency look what it can produce. Yep. Because that so gets that, back to yours. Doesn't that get back to your story? I can connect that this Burger King experience with a story that you you told and you love to tell. And I love to hear you tell about the agency visiting the ice cream manufacturer somewhere in South America and saying, if you do a good campaign, we can add a, another, uh, another, uh, shift. Uh, another shift. If you do a great campaign, we can add a third shift. I mean, this is a direct impact between communications and the economy. Yep. Yep. So this this next page talks a little, starts delving a little more into the personality, and it says all that is good about adolescence: the thrill of discovery, the fun of not taking yourself too seriously, the emotionally charged passage into adulthood, and the search for identity and individuality. Um, and then we there's some values which I'll, I'll skip over, um, and then. Um, the bullseye, uh, get what they want, crave uh, control, want to indulge slash seek reward, fans of pop culture, TV, sports, movies, spirited social, sense of humor, work hard, play hard. And then here's the, the what I really wanted to focus on today, which was that text about the voice. And the voice is the cool uncle, a voice of honesty and encouragement, closer to your age than your father's, who takes the time to tell you how things really are. The cool uncle invites you to have it your way and teaches you how to have it your way. He is your have it your way guide. And he is a shape shifter, meaning it's not like an actual person 
it can it can take the form of different things in the advertising. Right. You know what this is reminding me a little bit of when we were doing that brief for Hulu and you found the brand guidelines deep buried deeply on their website. I think maybe not to the extent that Burger King has done here, but Hulu did a pretty deep dive on who their audience was and what they wanted their voice to be. This, this is, these are two examples, I think, of, of, of brands that really are serious about knowing who they are. Yep. Because I, account, I can't tell you how many times I encounter brands when I do training for the ANA, when they are, I mean, you've used the example before, they throw their arms up. It's like, well, I don't know what, we don't know who we are. Let's figure it out with the, with the, with the creative process. And that's just doing it backwards. So here's a, an, another document I found. I'm just going to quote real, real quickly here. It says, um, Burger King has rekindled the have it your way philosophy, where you can get what you want, how you want it. But it's about more than just getting extra pickles on your sandwich or a burger without the cheese. It's about self-expression, control, and the luxury of knowing that you can get what you want, how you want it. We're the cool uncle who tells you how it is, not the strict parent who holds you back. And we encourage you to try something new rather than advising you to stay within the same old tried and true. To this end, it's essential to keep have it your way, brand tenant apparent throughout the work we do. Whether it be packaging, POP, logo usage, layouts, we need to drive home the point that Burger King customers have things their way. And then it says, when writing copy, use the voice of the cool uncle, the one who takes the time to tell you the way it really is. Hmm. Hmm. How, how much time would you say it would take for, I mean, I'm not even sure who would do this. Is this a collaboration between agency and, and client or would this be done by one, by, by one side only to, to assemble what amounts to a brand guidelines, including the voice? I, how would I, you do this? I don't know in this particular case how it happened, but I suspect that in most cases, um, and in most cases that I've observed, either directly or indirectly, this is part of a pitch process, right? So mm, yeah. when you're when you're mm. when you're in an RFP situation as an agency, particularly these big national advertisers that these RFPs don't come around very often, you throw a lot of re resources at it. You get as much syndicated research as you can. You talk with people within the agency that have worked in the category before, maybe have worked for the client before you, and you start like building a strategy at the same time, really that you're ideating creatively. And at some point you merge the two and you say, okay, here's what we've come up creatively. Here's what we come up strategically. Do they match? They don't match. Okay. Let's, let's adjust. And because everything in a pitch is time compressed and you're, you're running and you're doing it, frankly, without client supervision, mm. because the whole point is you're going to get into a conference room with all the clients sitting around the table and you want to wow them and you want to wow them not only with the ads, but you want, when you, you want to lay the breadcrumbs for the client to accept the ads when you present them. And the way you do that is by selling them the strategy. So at some point, I'm sure that somebody from Crispin Porter Boguski stood up and said, you know what, McDonald's is about childhood. And Wendy's, if you really look at it, is about adulthood. There's an opportunity for us to go and be the brand that really is more adolescent in nature. Now, our audience is an adolescent. Uh, we're going to do a high volume consumer strategy, which is 
people that go to fast food 10 or more times a month. And these tend to be young males in their 20s, but they're kind of sophomoric in their sense of humor. They're very, um, you know, it's frat boy type humor. And that's where we're going to go. And so they probably sold them on the package deal. It was mm. the super fan strategy, the, the tone of voice. And we're going to, everything we do is going to be governed by the cool uncle filter, they probably said. And the client bought it. I've yeah. seen this. I've seen this. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's out there. So I'm not saying anything out of school, but when Wyden and Kennedy came in and pitched the Ford Motor Company, they said, our tone is going to be swagger um, and pride. We're going to be proud of what, and the work that Ford has done, and especially immediately after Wyden and Kennedy got hired, was right on that, you know, is swagger. I mean, they, they had Brian Cranston, you know, talking up Ford, um, a lot of brands hesitate to talk about themselves. They always want to put the consumer first as the hero using the brand to be the hero. And uh, Wyden Kennedy came in and said, no, Ford needs to be the hero in this campaign. This is how we're going to be relevant. This is how we're going to zig while everybody else is zagging is that we're going to, we're going to talk about all the things that we're proud to be as the Ford Motor Company. And so um, I've seen this happen and that was all done through the course of a pitch, frankly, you know? And yeah. And that's interesting. It's fascinating because uh, you wonder, and I, cause I wonder this a lot when I do trainings with marketers, how, how, how often they struggle with all the basics that, that a brief requires them to understand. You know, who are we talking to? Uh, they think they know exactly who their, who their audience is and sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. They, they have a hard time truly explaining what their brand is. They know what their product is, but they don't understand their brand. And then when it comes down to their tone of voice, again, it's something that's sort of just, yeah, we, we have this brand guidelines, but we overlook it and we don't give it uh, enough attention. And this is, what ag this is where agencies come in and do that heavy lifting for them. But the challenge emerges when we see, when we see the trend that's happening so much today with in the development of in-house ad agencies who don't always bring in strategists and account planners. So how does this, how does this work get done? It doesn't. Well, you know, uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit in a future episode, but I think one, you're right. The agencies have to fill the gap or the clients hire consultants mm -hmm. <laughs> from outside. And frankly, it's, it's a symptom. It's not that, that they don't have good brief writers. It's that they don't have good marketers that are setting a marketing strategy that people have adopted, everybody that it has to execute against it understands and can adopt. And so that's just, you know, that's, unfortunately we, and we spent a long time talking with Mark Ritson talking about training of marketers and, and how many marketers come from other aspects of, of business and again, fall into marketing and don't, don't have formal training and how, how a lot of, you know, uh, the things that are accepted in marketing, like Mark hates like SWOT analysis, but like in most brands today, SWOT analysis is still the first building block of most marketing plans. Re refresh our memories, but what that's an acronym for what, you know? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. It's like a big, you know, it's a, here's our strengths, our weaknesses, our opportunities and our threats. So strengths and weaknesses are internal to the brand, opportunities and threats are, 
are external to the brand. And right, then you, right. you chart that and it's supposed to like orient your thinking about your marketing strategy. And, um, you know, it's, it's become like one of those things. It's like a form you have to fill out, like the creative brief. It, it, it's not something that people really think about, nor is it particularly useful. So right. in any case, I thought it would be fun now that we've talked about how they were trying to lead pop culture and how they had the cool uncle filter to show a couple of the commercials that actually came out during this time yeah. to, kind of, to kind of demonstrate the tone and see how it came actually to life. So, so we'll, take, we'll take a look at a couple of them. <laughs> so let's take a look at this first commercial. It's called um, Tiny Hands and it's for Burger King double cheeseburgers. So we're gonna do a little creative review here on top of our discussion. That ah, sounds like a plan, I like it. Okay, let's take a look. Let's go grab some double cheeseburgers at BK. Ah, nah, I'm gonna get one at McDonald's. Uh, why, there's a BK right there. I have these tiny hands. They're not that tiny. They are that tiny. And that double cheeseburger or BK, it's so big, it, it's gonna make them look even tinier. What if I hold it for you? The double cheeseburger. 30% more meat than the McDonald's double cheeseburger. And only a buck. All right, Henry, what'd you think? Well, I don't know. I, I want to know what you think, because I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm very You're familiar with this one. Well, you watched me look at this. You, you didn't see me actually watching it. You just watched me watching it, and I was just laughing out loud. I don't remember these spots from way back when, but it certainly, it certainly gave me that instant Burger King connection. And I thought, oh, th this is, who, wh what better example of a buddy who's gonna help you eat a burger because you can't, because your hands are too small. Well, I said, well, I I'll help you. It's like, I'll hold it for you. It's like, there's, it. a, there's like a double entendre there. I mean, it's like, there's, <laughs> the, the guy looks at him like, and then the next thing you see is that the guy is holding the burger for him. Right, right. So, I mean, that's like, what are friends for, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and so you know that is something that McDonald's would never in a million years come out with. That is not no. something that Wendy's would in a million years come out with. That it's was, gutsy. It's that very was, gutsy. And it was very typical of the type of work. And I could yeah. I could put a dozen spots in here showing that you know that, but they all kind of had that sense of humor that would appeal to a young man who's right. not too serious, who just wants to laugh, the kind of person you know who watches SNL and you know maybe smoking a joint watching tv you know that's that's who this was targeting um let's look at this other spot which is for the uh burger king egg muffin sandwich right um if that sounds familiar it should there's a reason oh let's watch Not that original, but it's super affordable. Egg, sausage, and melted cheese on a toasted English muffin. The new BK Breakfast Muffin Sandwich for a buck. Now at Burger King. I don't think that guy is supposed to be here. All right. I, 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 you know what? I, I, I laughed out loud again on this one because it was, it was so tongue-in-cheek. It was like, I'm, I'm, the Burger King king is, is all hidden up in his costume to, 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 be the, to, to be the cat burglar, except we know exactly who he is. And you, you pointed out that the building, which is supposed to be McDonald's headquarters, is darn close to actually what the building looks like. Yeah, so it's like, 
we're, you know, it was like, we're stealing this recipe, which everybody knows it's nothing, it's nothing fancy. And if, and you also pointed out, if you're going to, if you can't beat them, copy them, why not? Yeah. It's just, yeah. just, it's, it's great fun. So, I mean, you go back, you know, McDonald's invented fast food breakfast. They've yeah. always dominated fast food breakfast. They've been great operators in terms of the products that they deliver. And so Burger King, you know, has tried everything and, and, and in an act of desperation, they said, well, let's sell egg McMuffins, but we can't call them egg McMuffins and said, but people like the egg McMuffin. So let's make an egg McMuffin. And rather than trying to, you know, hide the uncomfortable fact that they were copying McDonald's. They said, let's have fun with it. Let's make a commercial about it. And so right. they have the Burger King, like trying to be all surreptitious. Of course, he's got this gigantic head, this, <laughs> you know, mask, you know, he breaks into the, and the McDonald's, uh, the marketing headquarters in Oak Brook, Illinois at the time, it's not there anymore, was in a building called the Plaza building. And the Plaza building looked, looked like kind of like a jail. Like it had like these very narrow windows and it was gray and it was like, it was like a block. It was like a, it wasn't a very attractive building. And so I got to believe in my mind, I have this movie in my head where like the creatives and the producer did some like research on what the McDonald's headquarters looked like. And then look, tried to find a building that looked like it yeah. because it was uncanny how much this building in the, in the commercial looked like the McDonald's headquarters. It wasn't the building because I, I knew the building intimately, but it looks very similar in style. But this, so, you can this hear was, that this is the, the, this is the cool uncle speaking, not, not yeah. literally it's, but it's, it's a metaphor for kind of an attitude. And I think it, it permeates both spots. It's done I think, very well. I think they say, if we're going to do this, if we're going to steal McDonald's recipe, then let's have fun with it. And if yeah. we're going to have fun with it, if we're going to troll McDonald's, let's really troll McDonald's and find a building right. that looks like their building so they right. know that we know who they are and what they're doing, you know? Well, you know, I, I don't think we've ever we've ever mentioned the fact that the tone of voice can really drive the brand. But here is a classic example of where the tone really drives the brand. And it's I, a powerful aspect of the brief. Yeah. I, I think that really that's the key takeaway. I think that during those years from 2005 through 2010 abouts um, that Burger King was winning all those awards and selling a lot of burgers, uh, that um, the tone was really what was, was, was driving the brand. And that's why the brief became an exercise in, okay, what's the message? What, what's the headline? Um, what's the body copy here? Um, you know, the, the, the talk value, because they knew whatever we do, it's going to be funny. It's going to, it's going to be geared to this uh, target audience, which we've all agreed is our target audience. And we've all agreed that other people come to Burger King, but that we need to lead the advertising to that target audience. And I'm so, just thinking about how many brands leave this powerful opportunity on the table by not diving in deeper on what their tone is. And that it's, would be kind of, that would be my plea to strategists and brief writers would be yeah. to really think about tone. And and I I personally am a, a brief writer who for many years didn't give it much thought, but over over the my career I have seen where a differentiate or a distinctive brand tone that creates a distinctive advertising is really like a secret weapon. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back to our discussion about the Crispin uh brief and i don't recall i go back and look at it but the single-minded proposition which i think was good but 
it's not as powerful and memorable as the cool uncle. Mm -hmm. So here's an example where the tone of voice really drives everything. Yep. Yeah. All right, Henry, good stuff. Good stuff, Howard. He's Henry Gomez. And he's Howard Ibach. And together we're the Brief Brothers. Till next time. Bye-bye.